Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may just look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, and this is Hugh. Brexit! Oh, <laughs> yeah. Brexit! No, that's over. That was last year. So yeah, Brexit's done now. <laughs> oh, no, I've got oh, it. I've still been stuck in, in my the, head. We're back, in the, we're back in the mood. We haven't, we haven't done this for fucking ages. So no, we, we haven't done a proper one for ages. We, no. we did all of our kind of New Year award show stuff, mm-hmm. culminating in our uh, Eurovision Bre- uh, Brexit Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... And uh, we hit the upload limit because those things were long. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time we've really been able to uh, to record. Uh, anything anything happened since then? Uh, um, you kicked a dick nest. It? Oh, yeah. You kicked a dick nest okay. on Saturday. And you, yeah. But that was kind of funny. Um, was kind now of funny. James Bloodworth is still not allowed back on Twitter because he's using ableist slurs. And... Francis Wheatman and Nick Cohen are no longer best friends. Nick Cohen tearing down the Francis Wheatman picture. Francis Wheatman is it's, no longer my best it's friend. It's like I woke up on Saturday morning. I wasn't even like hungover or anything like that. And just see, I, th- I think it was like a load of Bloodworth tweets about how like planned economies are mm-hmm. inherently. It's just the standard like Cold War playbook of um, planned economies are inherently inefficient and they need gulags to enforce mm-hmm. it, whatever. And it was like, well. I mean, there's been a lot of experiments with planned economies over the years. Yeah. There've been a lot of successes. There've been some some defeats and, and downsides. They didn't uh, stop. In- o- overall, they still exist. And saying that ASDA has elements of a planned economy in the way that it did, in the way that it operates and doesn't like roll up to farms. No, it isn't. And you like- said that every worker should be paid. And like less well, than minimum wage and be part of the gig economy. This then turned Those are your yeah, exact words. This then turned into like. Well, of course, of course, communists would love to have ASDA because they hate worker autonomy. It's like, I didn't, I didn't say that. I, so, I don't know. I don't know a single person who has like full autonomy in their work. No, like my wife is a self-employed writer mm. and like relatively successful now, mm. and she still doesn't have proper autonomy in the slightest. <laughs> so I don't know why he thinks. The world is now, but anyway, yeah. So yeah, yeah it was, was weird. That it was just, kind of funny. It but what was funny was how quickly um, Jimmy Bollocks and Oskaji turned up to start joining <laughs> yeah. in, and then start comparing notes on which one of them would be first up against the wall. Because it's always been their. F- they always obsess about it. The centrist death drive is. Yeah. I was thinking about it actually on my way over here. Like their their centrist death drive is centered around um, refusing the cigarette when they're up against the wall, <laughs> but. Their kind of positive self-image... No, thank you. I'd have the jewel. <laughs> their positive self-image stems from the idea that they would be on top of the tanks surrounding mm. the Kremlin mm-hmm. when uh, Yeltsin... Um, <laughs> when, when, like, the uh, the hardliners in the communist yeah. government tried to take over. Except what they don't understand is that they are on the tanks outside the Kremlin, except they're on there the second time when Yeltsin was bombarding <laughs> the Duma to try and get them to do what it wanted. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a really, a really odd group of people. I do like and surprisingly the, rabid. Their death My phone drive, was mental on on Saturday. Their death drive is pretty funny, and like, and all of them like Stella Creasy joined in as well, didn't she? Yeah. But um, yeah, the thing is, they all talk about it. And the thing is, I've always thought, like, especially like people like Oskaji, that they'd do the Little John and they'd all move to Florida and they'd com- they'd like send articles back to papers here complaining about how we like how Britain is a disgusting hellhole. <laughs> That's how I imagined they'd go. Yeah. Because you know, I couldn't work to be honest, there's no way I could work up the energy to kill them. <laughs> Even waste if I was like rope. really like, like waste of rope. I don't I, <laughs> Yeah, if I was like fully like 
energised with, like, Robespierrean revolutionary fervour. <laughs> I just don't think... It's like, come on, Hugh, we're going two doors down to kill Ozkatji. And it's like, oh, do I have to? There was that thing about the the other, like, last year about... Um, who was it? Uh, it might have been Andrew Lillico, actually, talking about, well, of course, I'll have to go into exile. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Just say under, you want to go live Corbyn. in your, hol- your holiday home in Spain. Yeah. You can just say it. It's a dream. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh. um, yeah, so that was kind yeah. of funny. So that was, that was hilariously funny. That's all happened in the last week. Um, yeah. What hasn't happened in the last week is uh, any... I've d- I was looking into Brexit yeah, uh, so over nothing. the last month because obviously... We kind of torn over New Year whether we wanted to kind of like keep doing week to week stuff mm. or try and do more long term stuff. Um, think, uh, we've got a long term, uh, like a, a a more long form thing for next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll try and do that because also we need to talk. If I don't, if I don't trepan my brain, <laughs> I will die. If I don't stop reading the news, <laughs> well, I need to like let out the poison. <laughs> about what's happening. Yeah. Uh, but, like, comparing it to the, our last Brexit episode, which I'm pretty sure started in a similar way, mm. of recounting what happened, yeah, and then kind of saying, well, how is this any different? No, it doesn't change. Um, so there's been um, the final vote on the deal, mm-hmm. which she lost mm-hmm. massively, which Theresa May lost massively. Um, there have been a flurry of amendments. It was amazing that the People's Vote managed to achieve that. Madeleine Kay... People take a piss out of Madeleine Kay a lot, but for the low, low price of about £18,000, she managed to enact the worst defeat on a government that's ever happened. It's incredible, really. And she was, wasn't even there on the day. No, she's not an MP. She just did it for the power of song. And buses. And that drawing, and her drawings. Oh, God. It's amazing. Like, people take the piss out of her, but, you know, fair play to her. She's proper value for money. <laughs> um... <laughs> I was listening to Richard Seymour today, um, and he described what Theresa May is is doing as panicked inertia. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be any kind of place she can move, and they've, for all of the talk about what she can do, mm-hmm. it seems really clear that she's not going to do it. There have been amendments to uh, extend Article Fifty, to um, rule out a No Deal. Mm-hmm to um, stop Brexit altogether. That was an SNP amendment I don't think ended up getting taken up. Um, amend the Good Friday Agreement, which mm-hmm. was a rumour that came out midway through the month and was kind of hanging around for about a morning until they denied it. Mm. Um, but it, it, it was just kind of reported matter-of-fact, I don't know, but it sounds like the kind of thing that she would do. But it's... the gov- we, Well, the British government always does that thing of... Um... Leaking stuff to the press to see how it does. Yeah, to see to see how um, it goes. Which is why you get to see so many really, really horrifying ideas. Mm. Like you know, why, why don't why don't Ireland just it's become exa- part of the UK again? Yeah, that, that, numerous people saying that. Yeah, um, they've tried attacking the EU directly, mm. like through like culture war. Mm. They've tried to expand some kind of like culture war stuff onto the EU. So it was like, uh, was it Daniel Kogzinski? Um, was saying oh, yeah. that Britain didn't receive any martial aid and Germany should be thankful. There was a Marc Francois thing where he um, uh, said, my father never bowed to a German and neither will his son. It's like, all right, Game of Thrones, mate. <laughs> Fucking hell. 
So also, I don't <laughs> hate to be that guy, but the royal family motherfucker. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the 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 like kind of elite end of it, the the government end of it. Doing something like amending the Good Friday Agreement mm. is exactly what you think she would do because it is cynical, mm-hmm. utterly cynical, but at the same time utterly fantastical. Because so the Good Friday Agreement has a, an amendment in it that guarantees a frictionless mm-hmm. border or not a hard border, let's mm-hmm. say, between the Republic and Northern Ireland. Yeah, and it's fantastical in the sense of does she think if she just changes the Good Friday Agreement that she'd be able to have a hard border? Or a soft border, despite the fact that neither of none of her MPs can agree on what on whether that should be in place. It's that Lionel Hutz thing with his card of like um, <laughs> like the no money down and that kind of thing. And she's just going to change some commas, and it's like no border. <laughs> <laughs> and they just turn up at work. They just turn up at work one day, and she's like, "I've negotiated a hard border between uh, Northern Ireland and the Republic." And they like get out their big copies of the Good Friday Agreement, and they say, "You can't do that." You. Oh, wait. Oh, actually, you can. Oh, fine, then. <laughs> what? They pull it all out on their phones and they see like the Wikipedia article of the Good Friday Agreement has just been edited. <laughs> and that's all she'll do. <laughs> One of the funniest amendments, actually, was... Um, so the Lib Dems tried to table an amendment that would create a, 70, a, a committee of no more than 17 MPs mm-hmm. that would take the lead on all Brexit matters in Parliament. Okay. Um, that would like be representative of and there like, would not be the a single member the and Lib there would not be a single Lib Dem on there. No, there wouldn't. It's like, um, would that go along with some of their other amendments? Like, can people please stop pulling my trans trousers down? Can you, the man who, who keeps on putting cling film over my toilet in my office please stop doing that? Listen, cherry bombs in toilets <laughs> are a big. That's an old building. <laughs> the slightest tremor could for, cause it to just come crashing down. In fact, that's what should happen. May twenty ninth or whatever Brexit yeah. day is. It happens, somebody like de-pants a Lib Dem MP so explosively that it causes the foundations to rupture and the whole thing to fall down. I imagine if you pants Nicholas Soames, his his gasp, his what, would be such a tremor that it would actually bring the whole building down. Um, He looks like the kind of guy that would do that. There's been some more kind of like subtle, cynical plays to get... um, Whatever MPs on side. Mm. Well, yeah, there was um, paying. Yeah, so so there was a. Uh, she's she, apparently she was Theresa May was putting together a package of measures aimed at wooing Labour MPs in Leave supporting constituencies, offering greater protection for workers' rights after Brexit, and cash for former coalfield communities. <laughs> they asked two. She asked two cabinet members to consult opposition backbenchers over legislation, um, and John McDonnell kind of rightly pointed out you're introducing pork barrel politics mm. into the parliamentary system now. And John Mann went, scabbing. <laughs> like, he sniffed it, and then he came running and jumped and skidded and said, I'll give you anything you want. He was running so fast that the person he was talking to in Strangers Bar was thought he was still talking to them because he moved so fast he'd left a perfect <laughs> outline of skin flakes <laughs> in place. Yeah. His cheeks billowing out like a cartoon character, um, but yeah, it's um, it's a weird kind of thing because, like, yeah, you can be really cynical and say, "Well, port power politics has always existed," and of course, in Britain, it, it kind of has, not to the extent, but not America. to not to that extent. Like, they, there's been stuff about you know granting increased funds to Tory councillors, but. That tends yeah, to be regarded as well. That's like Tories being yes, Tories giving themselves money. Yeah, I suppose that's it's be, I suppose it's because that. like the 
it's not like the seat most of the seats in the House of Commons are significant like competitive enough yeah to make that mm. a thing you know like if you're voting on a regional basis, mm-hmm. then you're voting for that person and whether you like that person and theoretically not on what party they're, mm-hmm. they're part of. Again, it's a, a weird, like, muddy system. But you're, yeah. if you're not necessarily going to invoke, like, uh, associate the increased funding your constituency is getting. With John Mann. Well, you're not going to associate with the government. You're no, going no, to associate you're not, you're, with the yeah, MP. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, yeah. you're good, like um, so. Yeah, if if they do fund, say, John Mann's constituency, um, they'll associate with John Mann. They won't associate yeah. with Theresa May. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, f- I still find it really, I find it really dangerous in the way that they're still insistent on keeping this system whereby MPs are are tied to their to their constituencies. Hmm. Um, it's because Britain has this really highly centralized system with supposedly democratic oversight that's still based not on the center mm. but on like this distributed personal kind of representation. Mm. Um, in principle, MPs owe their legitimacy to the people of their constituency, and if the government is offering them stuff for their constituencies in order to buy their loyalty and at the moment, it's just on this issue. Mm-hmm. But if they're offering the money to do that, where does their legitimacy lie? Mm-hmm. If they're voting in a particular way because of what they've been offered, like, are they... And it, it's the same thing that the deselection thing brought up. Every time the deselection thing came up, they were like, uh, excuse me, I answer to my constituency, not to you. And yeah. then whenever they do something that their constituency doesn't find popular, they say, I answer to the people of Britain or to this august house or yeah. whatever. They're... they're their sources of power and legitimacy. They do that thing of saying, like, um, I'm doing, I, I was elected to do what I see as best. Mm, mm. And if it's like, but which you under just a got cer- given a solid gold car. Yeah, which, which under uh, the problem with the British system is that under a certain light, all of those things are true mm. all at the same time. Yeah. You know? Mm. It's a really... But would you trust John Woodcock with any of those? <laughs> Do you think he does anything for the sake of his constituents? Apart What's from his... Oh, that's right. He said he's going to stand again. Well, he's he said he's going to run against. In... He'll run against the Labour Party, yeah. um, and he'd like to be in a centrist party because that's got a lot more attention recently. Because Chucker Abuna's Stratton constituency just voted to have one man one vote, yeah, um, and that's got, that's definitely got nothing to do with this, <laughs> nothing to do with this at all. Um, I'm really looking forward to a news story talking about penis, 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 um, about the stuff that he like the sending sexually suggestive texts to people he works with. Hmm. I'd like to see them mention that once. Isn't it the case, will. though, that John Woodcock's in, for want of a better word, a company town? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, a, a BAE guy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so I wonder how much that trumps... No, he won't win. He won't win because... He won't person, win, but he can spoil that, it enough. No, not at all. Um, the no. Labour person that they've got has already said that they are fully in favour of Trident. There is a, oh, there is right. a, so they'll just substitute them with another John Woodcock? Pretty much. But I don't think they're as bad, but to be fair, you'd hard-pressed to find someone as bad. I don't think they're as, as pro-Saudi war, like Saudi there's, buddy. There's, there's voting for Trident, which is a part of it, but then there's the kind of above and beyond that people like Mike Gapes seem to do. Mm. Like, Mike Gapes could still be BAE's man in Westminster mm. without constantly... And, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Iranian hangman, Graham, Graham Jones. Jones. Yeah. Um, there's kind of buying into it, which is something that Labour MPs seem to get way more into oh, yeah. than 
Like when they're on the right, yeah. they get way more into it than Tories. Tories do it because it's like part of the plan. It's come, yeah. It comes with the office. Yeah, Tories do it like it's a job. They don't do it their off time as well. Yeah, they almost um, professionalise their thing because they know the party's going to support them. But Labour's always had a small hmm. but uh, hope, like more vocal like anti-imperialist, anti-war contingent. Small. I, I can I only emphasise that word that small. Single figures. <laughs> In that I can't name a single uh, leader <laughs> or cabinet member off the top of my head other than maybe Robin Cook and Tony Benn. And Robin <laughs> Cook wasn't maybe consistently no. uh, said single anti-intervention. Figures. Single figures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just, oh, that was a thing before we carry on. The, yeah, Mike Gates said, like, oh, the party of um, Attlee and Smith and God, all this. Yeah. And it's like, my, my first thing and Holly just... So grumpy of me. He's like, why do you have to be horrible about everyone? And I was like, Ali was a war criminal. <laughs> Ali was a monster. <laughs> Not my socialism if it involves all those people dying. No. Um, I mean, that kind of like we were talking about, about kind of legitimacy and pre- being able to predict where things are going, which, yeah. which is, it seems, it seems to be impossible. I was, I was talking to my partner uh, last night and she's like, what's going on? with Brexit Mm -hmm. and I was like I literally can't sum it I like being able to kind of have a broad overview and like Mm -hmm. Marxism and like class analysis does that quite a lot Mm -hmm. like I'm not as not that good at it but like I like I like it as having a rough framework framework, as a framework it doesn't go into details everything's very complicated in the world um, but I like having it as a framework and I, I'm talking to her, I was like, I literally can't sum up everything that's going wrong <laughs> or right with this. Yeah. Because like, like what we were talking about with the not being able to kind of trace a legitimacy between MPs actions and how they're going to vote on this Brexit thing. Tories. Mm. Um, Heidi Allen did that, um, poverty oh, tour. God. That poverty tour with, uh, yeah. Frank Fields. Yeah. Now she's Cambridge South, I think it is. Um, where is it? Yeah, South Cam- MP for South Cambridgeshire. Yeah. She went on a poverty tour and had big headlines in The Guardian about how fed up she is with austerity and how yeah. she can't believe her... How successful her voting... How succe- Yeah, exactly. Like How successful her I'm so sick of this, this has to stop. Not enough to actually yeah. vote against it. And yeah. it's the same with, you know, the Anna Subris of this world of, yeah. I cannot believe that... Um, I cannot is. believe that we are going into Brexit like this, not that I will vote against it. Yeah. It just seems so broken as a mechanism for mm-hmm. projecting power in a democratic system. Mm-hmm. In the, it, This isn't the usual kind of, oh, they, they're all the same, they vote the same way, which like I, I get, but I actually think is probably incorrect is, as a kind of f- vaguely folk wisdom that all politicians are, uh, are corrupt and, and always vote like they always say one thing and do another. I think actually more often they say one thing and do that thing. And yeah. that thing is horrifying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because again, if you're in a safe constituency, mm. your link between the way you're voting on, say, I don't know, intervention in Libya and mm. your constituency is abstracted. Yeah. The way that you're voting on national measures for um, various austerity things, you those MPs are judged less on their constituency performance and more on their national performance. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's a weird it's a weird system, is what I'm saying, um, and it's only getting more abstracted by what the way that things are going are going now. Mm. It's really really odd. So yeah, I mean, moving on to the Tories. Um, what was that? Oh, there was the Brady Amendment that. 
was lauded as this. So it provides for an amendment to the backstop agreement as it exists. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that correct? I, I, think, d- I don't know. I think. Uh, I know, I like, know. I. I I hate it. I've been. I was. I was trying to listen to Brexit stuff. I can't stand it. I find it so hard to deal with because you have the 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 hard Brexiters at the moment are sort of coming around to the notion of just doing whatever the Tories. I saw there was a do. Jacob Rees-Mogg um, floated the idea of an extension. Of course he did. But again, probably after voting against it. Yeah. Considering there were two amendments um, yeah. when they voted, like maybe a week and a half ago. There were two amendments mm. that he could have voted for. I'm, I haven't looked it up. Maybe he did vote for it. Mm. But I bet he didn't. Mm. Again, what's the point? What's the point of floating all these plans if yeah. nobody will commit? The, the problem is that everyone's been so used to fucking triangulating yeah. and tactical voting for so long that actually committing to something seems to be a real fucking stretch yeah. when they see that something can't work. It's, it is weird. You, know? like, you look at um, some of the people in parliament and the only ones that I could say that are like principled to their beliefs hmm. apart from obviously people like Diane Abbott and McDonnell and Corbyn like they, you know, they have their core beliefs and they don't seem to sway from them they, yeah. you know, they try and stick to those beliefs the they other, are occasionally I'm, couched in uh, really uncommittal language yeah, yeah, but they tend to be yeah. they have been in favour of a Vaguely Benite solution for British politics yeah. for a while. Yeah, but say. other than them, it is people the ones who are like willing to stick true to their guns. There's not none of the Tories because they're all cowards. It is people like Frank Fields who yeah. like who like look. It's like look, I'm an unashamed fascist <laughs> who just wants <laughs> to build concentration camps for single mothers, and I will stick to my guns about it, no matter what you scream at me. And he'll just do that for it. All like Kate Hoey. It's like, I don't care how many people in my constituency try and kill me, I'm still your MP. <laughs> the, the contradictory... The, it's the contradictory ones. It's the yeah. ones who, because we're so addled with... I would say probably culture war, hmm. um, like metaphors and symbolism. Mm-hmm. We live in a place where probably a number of the people we're going to meet on a day-to-day basis would describe themselves as socially liberal, Mm. um, maybe even fiscally liberal, if you're lucky. Mm. Um, And they absorb that kind of like, yeah, like American culture war view of things, which is conservatives are all like anti-gay, like gay bashing, um, uh, uh, like austerity people who think that the poor should be massacred. And... The and liberals are kind of weak, wet, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I don't, it, you you see someone like Kate Huey, who I, I'm not sure about how she feels about capitalism because she doesn't talk about it for very oh, no. long, I don't think. No, but to scream in out. the past, Frank Fields would have been a oh, yeah. he would have been a like a traditional welfare laborist, mm. but it comes along with all this like other baggage that kind of breaks. That metaf- that 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 similarity down, yeah. so you can't you can't pigeon you couldn't pigeonhole them if you tried. <laughs> Look at them, they're a breath of fresh air. But like it is weird. It's like some of them. They are not. A there are of people fresh air. that you'd like. You look at and you. It, it's remarkable how. I don't mean to say like strong in a positive way, but like the speech Mike Gapes gave about Venezuela. Yes. Yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. And was full of lies. Hmm. 
And he will sit there and do that. And you look at that man, he's like, you know, there's all the, the milk stuff and all that stuff, and it is really yeah. funny. But it's sometimes, you know, it's easy to forget that this this angry tumour who yeah. lives in Ilford is a piece of shit monster who won't be budged on anything. Unlike a Tory who, if you slip him a fiver, will do whatever you want. A neocon who didn't seem to get the message. Yeah. Like, yeah. even the Americans, I mean... They, don't hmm. get me wrong, they are roaring back now with Elliot Abrams and, and John Bolton. We will talk about that yeah, later. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, but you forget that kind of that whole project had to really go into hiding after mm. Iraq. You couldn't mm. make those grand declarative statements of, you know, we're in the reality, in the making reality community. Mm-hmm. We'll do it and then we'll, you report on it and we'll tell you about it. And yeah. that, that kind of, uh, it's, I think it's Straussian. I think that was the guy um, who kind of defined a lot of the stuff around neoconservatism mm-hmm. of it's about elites mm-hmm. uh, creating palatable narratives to project power into mm-hmm. the world and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they don't seem to have got the message. So they're still out there giving these like tub-thumping, fucking jingoistic speeches mm-hmm. about stuff that they really don't need to. Again, they're going above and beyond. Oh, no yeah. one asked them to do that. Even if you're on BAE's fucking payroll, no one's asked they Mark don't, Gates they don't do care. anything ever. Yeah. It's I hadn't heard of him before Corbyn. I'll be perfectly honest. Um, heard of Frank Fields. I did. Heard of Graham the, Jones. I did because he's up the road. Oh, he's only up the road, is he? Yeah. yeah. I, I honestly had not heard of him before yeah. before 2015. He's a hysterical figure. He's, he's, just, he's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, there's... there's Going back to the kind of conservative yeah. party, because at least Labour seems to have some, some energy. Yeah. Um, there seems to be this weird kind of, like, morning stage around... Mm. Um, like the principle of British conservatism. Mm-hmm. There was an article by Matthew Dancona um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, about the the death of conservative values and mourning how much like uh, the conservatives were always above ideology. They always they, they never they never followed ideology, and now no. because of Brexit, <laughs> they're pursuing ideology at all costs. And it's like, well, no, that's a very that's a very common um, yeah. It's, Bullshit. Yeah, it is. But it's a very common thing because the conservatives would base themselves on, um, like, uh, Edmund Burke and like uh, the the reactions to the French Revolution. Mm. We don't we don't need to be ideological. We just need to kind of slowly introduce change, and if it works, it will. The system will evolve to mm-hmm. accept it, and if it doesn't, it won't. Um, that is in itself a fucking ideology. But you know, <laughs> in any case, like you can see. It did occur to me, now Turning Point USA, mm-hmm. the kind of Trumpish alt-right booster organisation, that's recently turned up in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I wonder about the timing mm-hmm. that not only have they seen that British Conservatives get a kicking and any time that they try and um, introduce a kind of youthy, youthy, young element yeah. into what their like party's operations, it falls flat. So they've so kind of come over in. here to <laughs> join in, to kind of shore up the principle of capitalism, conservatism, and, yeah, yeah. and, and all that. That is an ideology. On the other hand, there is a notion that the Conservative Party has completely run out of options to attract a class segment back. And I think we talked about this when we talked about the alt-right. Hmm they're going to try and capture the Conservative Party because the Conservative Party is a hollow a hollow suit right now. Yeah. Anybody could come in and fill that. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to come from Cameron's kind of uh, socially liberal wing no, because that went with him. Yeah. Theresa May tried it on a little yeah, bit no. and it never fitted. No. 
but someone like the turning point in in the absence of like a for want of a better word a native born conservatism mm. atlanticist conservatism at least has money behind it and has spite it is weird you know? like, that like there's it does seem like a bunch of them were ones who were in like the student vote leave or one or many of the other vote leavey groups mm. and it's like that's all done now so what we're going to spend the money on mm. and that's you know amazing political heavyweights like Tom Harwood <laughs> yeah he tried it but of course he's got to fit in in order to make a living he's got to kind of fit in with a certain level of civility that perhaps in America because they're well funded and they can just keep people working and churning this kind yeah. of propaganda out for years and years um, because our parties are kind of over here are kind of more more all-encompassing hmm. they have to like let's face it it would be like someone with like the AWL or Momentum yeah. would have to associate themselves with the Labour Party in order to get any kind of um, any kind of clout yeah and Turning Point USA, when they come over here, will eventually... Ha- will, maybe they've got the money to just keep independent. The same um, as other... Like, there are yeah. other think tanks that do that, I guess. Yeah, I think they've but, got... I think, I think they'll just push and push from the right as hard as they can. Yeah. Um, it's all like the head of Turning Point is... you. His, like, bio is amazing. It's like a former Bullingdon boy who's engaged to Candice Owens. That's his qualification. Oh, God, really? Yeah, it's like, so he was in a dining club. <laughs> well, also, well done. It's not like people have been making jokes about the Bullingdon Club for literally nine years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was like the e- cheap, easy way to take a pot shot at David Cameron, mm. which also, by the way, is not how you win a culture war. Yeah. Everybody took the pot shots at Donald Trump and he still won because he managed to get enough of... Even that, even though everybody knows he's a fucking fool, mm. he managed to project enough of what people wanted to associate with in order to get enough of those votes. Mm-hmm. Racism, but also like a kind of nostalgic '80s feel. Mm. David Cameron never projected that. All of that Bullingdon stuff only harmed him. Yeah, you know, it never made it. It never gave anyone warm feelings. Even the warm feelings you get from knowing that uh, uh, an Aristo is in charge. Yeah, which. Sometimes it's hardwired into into some British people, but I don't think it really is that much. I'm still like convinced. Like uh, maybe I'll be wrong, and we'll have Jacob Rees-Mogg as prime minister. But it's I doubt the reason it. Jacob doubt... Rees-Mogg will never be prime minister. It's probably yeah. the reason why. It's also the reason why Boris will never become prime minister. Yeah. Like there's no positive flip side. There's no negative you can positive in a PR sense mm. to tur- to flip that over. Mm. Not in these conditions. No. You can't even laugh at them anymore. No, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, um, they'll probably hype up immigration to even higher heights. Mm-hmm. The 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 stuff around immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, I I genuinely don't know. At this point, we were kind of discussing it earlier. No deal seems ever more likely because she has absolutely no room for manoeuvre. I think the only thing that will stop no deal is if people in Parliament have some. If there if there are Tories with willpower <laughs> um, or Tories who care about anything other than being Tories um, because it's right like any Tory that sides with Labour on this shit is done forever in the Tory party they'll never they'll never beca- get anything mm. good ever no they just won't I disagree no, I disagree they, they won't they'll be they'll um, because that would be accepting that the case against 
this deal and kind of by Brexit, all t- like all over overall, mm. um, that would be accepting that it's associated with Labour, and I don't think it is. I think there is, there is a Tory Remain vote out there. Yeah, I think there you is. Know, but there is an anti. There is an. I don't think within. I don't think within the Tory party. I think the siding with the Labour Party is is seen as much worse. Like if, for example, Anna Soubry. Yes. If Anna Soubry yeah. voted with the Labour government, with mm-hmm. a, with the Labour Party, on stopping a No Deal, yeah, I think that she would be like the Tories would have would have uh, mandatory reselections within the week. I disagree for the same reason that I think eventually all the Tories are going to come round to the deal, no matter what their personal red lines are, because their commitment to unionism mm. and their commitment to a kind of free market capitalism, like if you put. The deal with the EU mm-hmm. and Singapore, mm-hmm. right? A free market utopia kind of pirate, yeah. pirate anarchist utopia thing yeah. um, in front of them. I don't think they have the balls to reach for Singapore at no, the there expense is that. There is the of the sweet deal yeah. that they it's can um, have with the EU. It's a thing that, like, we, I think we talked about it before, like that Steve Bannon, when hanging around with um, Boris having to come to terms with how much of a coward he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe may, may right. I just, are, I just have this horrible feeling because of the way Theresa May is. They are rich, rich men yeah. and women. I think this thing that Theresa May, because she just seems to be frozen like a deer in the headlights mm. and it's just going to carry on, nothing's going to change, nothing's going to change, then Brexit Day is going to happen and they're just going to say, well, it's happened now. Yeah. <laughs> it's done now. I think. <laughs> Do you know what? Couldn't you yeah. see her just say, like, well, it's happened now? Uh oh, spaghettios. You know, like, it, like she's being told to take a turning on the road, and everyone shouted at her, and she goes, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, and then she just keeps on driving. <laughs> Next exit, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so instead of going to the good turn off, which has one of those, oh, I can't remember what they're called, the little Japanese um, things that are at the service stations at the moment, there's one at Clackett Lane. It's really nice because I can get little spring rolls and gyoza. Um, but then instead of getting one of the good ones, you end up one of the ones with a day's in and shit. <laughs> Go around a lot of service stations. But yeah, um, I could see that happening. And just to kind of like finish off, like something I've been thinking about a lot with very, being neither a hardcore Remainer or a Lever myself. Yeah. Um, something that, that there was a, a story today about Angela Merkel coming out and saying that she would um be receptive to uh, a, another like deal yeah. that's not the EU that's just Angela Merkel yeah. um and i think something that's been missing in a lot of all of the all of this kind of discussion about where britain is mm. it's been very myopic in that it's only really been focused on british politics mm-hmm. it hasn't been focused on it hasn't given a proper appreciation of what the EU is, yeah, you know, like that they're not the paper tigers of the Eurosceptic uh, side, nor are they the kind of happy, smiling face of, of internationalism mm-hmm. that the Remainers kind of mm-hmm. kind of posit. Um, they're not this passive behemoth that's just sitting there waiting to see what Britain does. Mm. They advanced in all of these negotiations with a firm idea of what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They are reasonably undemocratic. They are virtually run by German bankers. They are technocratic and committed to a certain brand of of free market capitalism. Um, and it's been this kind of weird moment where 
there was a lot of like when the EU was founded, there was a lot of kind of Marxist academics who said, "Ah, this is the rebirth of like socialist internationalism. This will be a vehicle by which the socialists of Europe can unite." Yeah. Um, because they were projecting, because that's what they wanted yeah. to do. It's not a bad. It's not a bad goal. Yeah. It's just they were projecting on what the EU would eventually turn into. Yeah. You know, no fault, no fault of theirs. I don't think. Mm. Um, but there has to be just this an actual clear-headed appreciation of the EU as an element in its own right. Mm. And increasingly, we will end up getting that because once we leave, mm. it will be as such a foreign, a foreign body. Yeah. You'll be able to judge what it is in the same way that you would judge, say, like um, the African Union of States mm. or what's the Asian one? A-C-A-N... A, a, I don't know how it's the Pacific one. It's A S E A N, which is the oh, yeah. Asia, Asian yeah, one. Yeah. Which you know, you get kind of it doesn't appear much, but you get to appreciate them and what the the the. I mean, basically, it'd be like Eurovision voting. Yeah. The the most like hard line, hard headed, clear head, like clear eyed, um, estimation of the tensions between European politicians, and and polities comes from Eurovision. Yeah. In which. You know, uh, variety show presenters opine on why Russia didn't vote for Latvia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, that, I don't like to be honest. Right now, the although I again I'm not a lexiter as such, the most clear analyses of what the EU is comes from lexit voices, mm. the ones who appreciate it for what it is mm. and and its and its power mm. and what its goals are. Maybe I talked to the wrong people as well, because even like the people who I'd consider kind of Lexity still don't want to leave yet. Like, yeah, I mean, Lex- that's a, like, probably a tactical le- strategy. Yeah, the Lexity thing. people that I've, I read and talk to um, are more in favour of staying while sort of getting ready to leave on our own time, <laughs> rather yeah. than trying to just crash out and trying to like juggle as we leave while Jacob Reef-Mogg is selling everything, <laughs> which would be horrible. So our second topic this week... Oops, I did it again. Venezuela. Yep. Um, so we've had some significant like movements on Venezuela as a, a topic mm-hmm. for discussion and political manoeuvring. Yep. I just repeated myself there. It's fine. <laughs> um, the I'm not sure what's prompted this specifically now, but yeah. uh, the UK, the US, Canada, several European countries... And most of the kind of international community, the ones that are aligned with the US, have looked at the situation in Venezuela and declared that Juan Guaido, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, has been, uh, Maduro has lost all, they say Maduro has lost all legitimacy and Guaido is now the new president. (laughs) Yep. They just declared this. Yep. Um, Because he didn't. The first of February. Because he boycotted the election, didn't he? Uh, his movement, the popular will, has been boycotting the elections for about five years. <laughs> um, they've refused to stand and refused to, to, to judge anything as legitimate. Yeah, in much the same way that I imagine a country any day now is going to decide that national action are in charge of the country. <laughs> um, to be fair, we, we can't talk. There was that whole Jeremy Corbyn is the Prime Minister meme <laughs> that was going around. Uh, we really brought this upon ourselves. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> um I just wanted to kind of like, I've been doing some reading and we don't often cover foreign policy on this because of like foreign affairs and things like that on this, on this podcast, because 
it's not living in the country, not really knowing anybody who lives in the country. Mm-hmm. It's always fraught Smart with place. the possibility of of ignorance about things mm. and and getting things wrong and things like that. But this is quite a big, quite a big thing for the kind of socialist left. Yeah, and so I just want to kind of try and do my best, um, Corbyn. Yeah, trying try and, and anti-imperialism generally. Yeah, um, trying to do our best to kind of sum up what's what's going on mm. at the minute. So. There is a huge economic crisis in Venezuela. Um, there's runaway inflation. It's not hyperinflation, but it is very bad. Um, about 10% of the population has um, emigrated, uh, left the country for various locations, mostly, uh, I think, Colombia. Um, very low economic growth, uh, drops in imports, scarcity of food, medicine, um, and massive kind of balance of payments, deficits, like financial stuff, things like that. Yeah. Um, now, to hear most of the coverage in this country talk about it, mm-hmm. you would think that it, they've done their best to fit it into a very neat pattern that they use to describe either dictatorships or socialist economies or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not entirely the whole story. Um Venezuela has a lot of problems. Um, quite a lot of those problems can be attributed to government mismanagement. This situation hasn't happened in a vacuum, however. Um, the uh, Chavez regime, the, the Bolivarian revolution, whatever you want to call it, um, has had a huge amount of opposition, a number of coup attempts, especially since uh, Maduro uh, took over. Yep. Um, They've won a number of elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last election apparently was not uh, as open and opaque, uh, 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 not open and transparent as it should have been. But the observers but said it was fine. The observers said it was reasonable. Yeah. Um, there have been kind of uh, various various reports coming out of Venezuela because obviously it's also gotten a lot more violent. Mm-hmm. Um, we've not been able to get proper information there hasn't been kind of proper information popularly available because mm. we do get everything through the kind of mainstream media that are and are unified of, in, in yeah. and a load of stuff is blocked yeah like a load of um pro venezuelan government stuff is actually blocked yeah they they um blocked a load of stuff about i think it was cuban doctors have yeah. been made to leave um brazil yeah and there were a load of people saying hey you know unlucky or whatever and that was just blocked yeah, as kind of propaganda. It's, yeah, it's it's very strange. There's a real double standard in the way that that it gets treated. Like I say, it's not that there's no problem. It's that the problems need to be need to be gone into in depth mm-hmm. more. You need to explain it. Not every not every country is the same. Anyway, um, so the opposition, are, as they have been for a while, are openly calling for regime for intervention and regime change. Mm-hmm. Um, calling for the U.S. government to to intervene, for neighbouring governments to 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 come in and dethrone also making appeals to the military directly <laughs> to offering them an amnesty yeah uh, any police military or state officials who come to their side as it were yeah. uh, would not be prosecuted for uh, crimes against humanity um also they are using quite grandiose terms like that yeah like yes. it's the idea of america is like saying well you know if you venezuelan army come on the side of us the American army, <laughs> then you will not be guilty of war crimes. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's not 
clear what the opposition would plan to do about the economic crisis, because again, the economic crisis exists. Well, I think we know what they do. Uh, yeah, well, that's the that's the implication. Um, it's, it, there is a, it's um, it was something I saw on Twitter that was that did make me piss myself. It was like American government say we want their oil. The Venezuelan government says they want our oil. Liberals go, it's about democracy. <laughs> and that's, they will privatise everything. Like the only, there's a couple of companies that don't have sanctions in Venezuela at the moment. Yeah. They're American oil companies. It's like Halliburton and um, Chevron. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, that's, you know what they'll do? They'll just privatise the shit out of everything and the poverty levels will get worse. Yeah. It's not a significantly better deal for the Venezuelan working class, which of course is what we're here for. But also there'll be a whole lot of um, racist violence because there already is a whole bunch of racist violence. Yeah, I think it was after it was after like two, the two thousand seven and then again the two thousand fifteen um, like gubernatorial elections. Yeah. Um, the opposition protesters tended to target state-run health clinics, mm. and there were particularly horrific stories coming out from Afro-Venezuelans yeah. who had been targeted because yeah. it was assumed that they were naturally. Oh, they were burning them and lynching um, them and Maduro supporters. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be fair, there is a definite skin tone difference between the supporters. The the other thing that tells you about some of the opposition is apparently there were reports that um, the, after the election, um, PSUV, which is the Maduro party, which is a, a kind of coalition, mm-hmm. uh, you also have the Democratic Unity Roundtable, or MUD, <laughs> which is the uh, opposition yeah. um, coalition. That includes some kind of left parties that are critical of Maduro as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, I think it was after the last elections in uh, like 2016, there was a black bean shortage mm-hmm. on the super on like supermarket shelves. You couldn't get them at all, mm. and they magically reappeared after the election. Which, by the way, the PSV lost. Yeah. Like, there's a few myths that I just want to go into here that, yeah. that will dispel it. So, um, it's not. A dictatorship. No, not on the slope. Elections are still running, as I say. Well, Chavez ran been... so many elections. Yeah, there are the normal round of of elections, mm. and which the PSV have been remarkably successful in, and the outside observers have said were run fairly. Um, you know, it's 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 the government have pushed through legislations to, in in their words, in 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 you know, as a result of these street demonstrations. They've pushed through legislations to ban individuals identified as, which is their term, habitual hooligans from taking part in demonstrations and force protesters involved in acts of violence to pay for the damage. Some high-ups in the government also want more severe penalties for organisers of unauthorised demonstrations as well as people who cover their faces during violent protests. No, wait, sorry, that's the French government's proposed anti-liar <laughs> bill. Sorry. Um, they, uh, they also imposed a total internet shutdown uh, for most of last week in what critics att- uh, called an attempt to hide growing reports of a violent crackdown on protests. Uh, oh no, that's Zimbabwe. <laughs> um, you hear some of the language coming out of people like Jeremy Hunt who cannot resist getting a little like anti-socialist jibe in there mm. when he was saying like, as with all socialist countries, it's becoming an economic basket case. Yep. And like, the ver- like there's violence in Zimbabwe at the moment at the, at the government and the government is taking increasingly authoritarian... Uh, things are putting it down. But because it's not Mugabe anymore, yes. they don't care. No. no one cares. No. There is no question of the British government cutting off relations mm-hmm. with Zimbabwe in order to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the other main argument is it's, it's, is it's totalitarian. Now, this comes from a very specific brand of liberal commentator who 
really don't know what the word totalitarian means. No. Um, it was coined to kind of describe the or like where a government uses terror against major population centres, not just spe- like enemies of the state or whatever. It's where terror is a a regular day of life. So think Nazi Germany, thing and Stalin during the during the terror, but not after Stalin. That's a police state, and I would argue mm. that there's a there's a difference mm. in the way that populations are treated under say Stalin and then Khrushchev or, mm. or whatever. You know. It remains a police state, remains authoritarian, but it's not kind of totalitarian. It might seem like a small difference, but these people throw around that word yeah. like it just it just means anything with extensive police measures. And it's just not. I yeah. know again, not much luck if you're on the end of a baton. Yeah. Doesn't mean much, but I think in in terms of what we're talking about and how to properly ascertain what Venezuela is, mm-hmm. I think it's quite important yeah, to, it's to important do to use that. the right words. Um so the the other usual Twitter argument is about it being socialist. This is part of what got thrown at me for this. Yeah. For the tweet about uh, as they use well, social planning. Someone accused of being the SWP because he said, said, it was a, you want, said it was a market economy. You want to you want to turn the um you want to turn the NHS into Venezuela. So it's an it's become a useful shorthand for centrists. Oh, was that to, the, was that the guy from Chatham? That was the guy who was a councillor in Luton. Yeah. In, in Chatham. But yeah. he lives in Rochester. But he lives in Rochester. Well, let's not go on about that. And he went to King's School. <laughs> you're just desperate to get that in. Ever since I told you about that, you've been desperate to form a vendetta against him because he went to King's School. He went to a private school. He went to the private he school. He went to that... the private school, the only one I had heard of before. Um... Yeah. The private school <laughs> before in our hometown. Like the one that would glare at them because they were hoity-toity rich kids. <laughs> but yeah. Um... So yeah, that's become shorthand. People, socialists get accused of wanting to turn Britain into Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. Useful anti-communist slander. They yeah. are not short of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the unfortunate fact is Venezuela is still actually a market economy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you the, would say that. The SWPs say that all the time. <laughs> Between 1999 and 2011, the private sector's share of the economic activity in Venezuela actually increased. Um the big problem at the moment seems to be oil prices, specifically mm. a, a market function. Uh, oil is incredibly important to the Venezuelan economy. Yeah. Um, it's virtually their most of their foreign currency they was, a, was. They have earned. the largest oil reserves. They have the, the largest proven oil reserves in the world, mm-hmm. um, and it has gone from I think it was a a, a high of one hundred and fifty two dollars a barrel in two thousand eight down to it's currently about fifty five or sixty, mm-hmm. um, and if you include sanctions in that, that's really gonna gonna turn the turn yeah. the screws on on the Venezuelan economy. Nobody seems to be bothered about that element of it. Nobody seems no. to be bothered about the fact that or the ordinary Venezuelans they're trying to save from Maduro's tyranny yeah. are going to starve. Yeah. Because of their desire to feel slightly better about who whatever mug they put in afterwards. Mm-hmm. But but there we are. Um <clears throat> Chavez used the oil revenues in the good times to significantly increase spending on healthcare, education, social services. He offered like housing subsidies, food subsidies. Um You mean socialist like bribes. Buy in votes in that way that socialists do. Because when you give out benefits, that's a bribe. But when you have tax cuts, that's just smart economics. It's, it's like you don't know anything about economics, Adam. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely incredible the way that the unwarranted self-confidence of anti-totalitarian journalists mm. like Bloodworth and James Ball and Oz Katterjee and things, they can just say this is exactly like Syria yeah. because they give them two pence off on the petrol pump. Yeah, You know... Chavez is 
I mean, it's a bit like Syria. Uh, corruption is um, Syria does have a similar kind of economy in that they subsidize uh, Egypt and Tunisia had it yeah. as well. Huh. Uh, I only really look into countries once uh, they're on the front page of the Guardian, so um, that's what that is. But there's still a lot of countries that do that kind of like subsidising basic goods. Yeah. Um, and when those goods become expensive, they have to spend more on subsidies, which you know gets them into into problems within this particular like within this global economy. Mm. Um, but Chavez, the Chavez Revolution, he didn't call himself a socialist for a long, mm. long time. He got elected as kind of a populist, um, a kind of anti-corruption candidate. He, or any of the experiments, like they talk about, ah, the big state power of the Chavismo, like the Venezuelan government. Actually, what Chavez did when he he nationalized things piecemeal, mm-hmm. he set up kind of um, any he 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 would nationalize factories like one at a time and give them over to either the state or most of the time to. Um, the like workers control yeah um but it was very piecemeal it was only in in kind of specific areas it was only in specific they didn't lock off the economy mm-hmm. like a like I say in north korea yeah. um maduro i think it was a couple of years ago put gold mining rights out to international tender yeah. he invited international companies in to um do like gold mining um yeah. this had a lot of uh, opposition from like indigenous groups and things like that but yeah. On the flip side, apparently it was the illegal mining situation had gotten so bad that it's like, well, either we make this legit or we, you know, don't do that. Like with legalising weed, that kind of thing. Yeah. You you can't really stop it, so. Yeah. But yeah, the line now is that all kind of socialist policies, um, like all socialist policies are naturally failures. This follows the Hayekian line of all socialism leads to tyranny. Um, And in fact, if anything, the problem is there hasn't been enough socialism. Mm -hmm. The oil industry has not had enough um, of that that surplus. It has not been ploughed back into it to kind of modernise it. Um, There is huge amounts of corruption. Um mainly because during, I think, the oil crisis in 2002, they introduced three different exchange rates. One, well, they introduced two different exchange rates, one for food and basic supplies, and the other for, like, oil and other imported goods. Mm. Um, They were kind of artificially set a lot higher than the actual one, which then became the black market one. So you could smuggle goods in and out. Yeah. And there is a kind of theory that I was reading um, from this, uh, this Venezuelan commentator who said that, Maduro's in this situation where he can't stop the corruption because most of it runs through the civil service, which Chavez's experiments in local democracy and participatory ownership was designed to circumvent because he wasn't sure that he would be able to get some more socialist policies through the civil service. Yeah. Um, the civil service and the, and, the, and, the, and the military and things like that. The military actually benefits from this kind of black market trade because they're making a shitload of money. They recommend they reckon like about three hundred million dollars out of a trillion, uh, three hundred million, three hundred billion dollars. Sorry, out of a, the trillion dollar windfall that they made when the oil prices were high has just gone in private pockets through corruption, <laughs> through people sneaking things through customs and and not paying like the proper exchange rate, playing paying the black market exchange rate. Yeah. Um, and that this is so lucrative for certain high ups in the military that, of course, he can't stop the corruption because he needs the military on side yeah. to counteract the kind of extra legal activities on the part of the opposition. So it's it's 
you know, it's a difficult situation. Yeah. There's an interesting comparison with this. In 1989, there was a, a large-scale uprising in Caracas and the areas around it, um, caused by a low oil price, which then, um, like, the country accrued, accrued a lot of debt, um, and the responses were to kind of privatise state companies, eliminate subsidies, tax reform, things like that. Um, and there were uprisings. Um, and the response of the US was to offer a $450 million bridging loan. <laughs> so you see, like, already the exact same situation gets treated differently yeah. simply because it's aligned in to a different, like, geopolitical... Yeah, like, if... Um, goals, if, you know? if the Venezuela that we have now hadn't had years of Chavez going to the UN every year to give his speech about the great Satan. <laughs> he always had more of a, like a nationalist, a nationalist leaning. Apparently during those riots, he was actually in the army at that point mm. and his unit was used to crack down on protesters, except mm. he was sick that day. He had um, flu or chickenpox yeah. or something. Um, so he wasn't there. So yeah. like, that's kind of, Part of his it, it's, 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 appeal. It doesn't really mean anything. It just indicates his kind of outlook. Yeah. Chavez's outlook. And and frankly, there's this. there was this thing going around when the US was uh, undergoing its war on terror, which is they said the Constitution is not a suicide pill. It's not a, su- a suicide note. Yeah. Basically saying that they should be allowed to do anything if it's in order to safeguard the... the yeah. like. Uh, security and sanctity of the the country, yeah, um, and that is something that always gets forgotten in these situations. You know, mm. as anti imperialists, you realise that all countries are not equal under this system. But when you're seeing coverage of like, well, of course they can't do that. It's like every other country would do that. That's not excusing it either. That's just mm. a fact. Well, it's a particularly rich at the moment with um, what's going on in France. Yeah, like, yeah. It yeah. <laughs> it's like has any know. has anybody died yet from the Gilejon? Because somebody is going to. I, I genuinely don't know because we don't get any coverage. Yeah, yeah. So like it's it'd be hard to tell. I I don't know if they have because I imagine there'd be um I don't know. I'm sure I would have read about it somewhere. And I really hate the fucking um the coverage of Guaido because we've seen it so many times before. Yeah. We've seen them lionize since probably Solidarity. Yeah. We've seen them lionize a particular opposition figure. Yeah. And like I don't know who he is. I don't know what policies he's going to enact. You sent me that thing that apparently he was associated with um, various like that USAID uh, endowment for democracy stuff, mm-hmm. which is it's exceptionally shady. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, you don't know who he is. All I know is the glowing coverage of... There was something in the New York Times which said, um, oh, we, we embedded with Juan Guaido and uh, he's, he's exceptionally busy and is under constant danger from the massive military machine as he uh, skips around town on the back of a motorbike. So you have two mobile phones like Macron. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, that contradicts itself. Yeah. You can't be totalitarian and have an opposition... Yeah. leader who can freely move about. Yeah. They don't they haven't closed that down. Now again, they have arrested various opposition members over the years, mm-hmm. but they've still been allowed to to they've frozen its accounts compete in elections. Yeah, I think they have. Which to be honest. Which again, but that 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 gets into this into this cycle of the Venezuelan um foreign currency accounts have been yeah. thing. What was that thing about gold? Um, the Bank yeah, of England so, refusing like, to give like, back gold. And it's not even that much. But there's some Venezuelan gold in the in the Bank of England. Yeah. And 
um, they asked for it like a year and a half ago, yeah. and they said, "Oh, we've got to do some um, some forms, <laughs> like tax stuff." Yeah, um, and then didn't get back to them for ages, and now there's pushes. They're pushing to like give it to Kaido instead of Maduro. <laughs> um, it's very much actually like trying to get when when Holly's trying to get paid by the BBC. Yeah. And you ask them for money, and they say, oh, we've got to do this, we'll get back to you in a bit. And then, you know, a couple of months go by, and then they think, like, oh, we actually, we quite don't like it ourselves. <laughs> that happens quite a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I suppose it's it's just the... It's it's extremely noticeable when some somewhere doesn't get treated... When the... the Material, the same material conditions are happening in two different countries. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I didn't even think about it until today, but Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And you look at the different coverage that it gets, mm-hmm. you know, and also focusing everything on the on the figure of Maduro, mm-hmm. who seems to be quite an easy figure to to mock and oh, to blame for all this. He really is, because like, like, but the thing is, it's it's not. It doesn't matter what he's like. He's not. The, there's no justification for deposing him. Yeah, but it, it's really easy to take the piss it, out of the out of the fat guy eating empanadas out of his desk. Yeah, I do remember that. Oh boy. Yeah, like do you mean this? Yeah. On the one, you, on the one Chavez hand, would have done it, and people would have like cheered him <laughs> because they loved it. Um, and like, yeah, you've got the usual kind of ideological deployment around this kind of thing, as we've mentioned. The characterization of Venezuela is like a uniquely failed state. Mm-hmm. You know, the Soviet country that mm-hmm. has spent, like, either spent beyond its means mm-hmm. or has been starving its populace. Yeah. Apparently, both at the same yeah. time. Um, the anti sum governments crowd. Mm. You know? Um, like, in the fallout of this whole. Thing, I started thinking a lot more like about central planning. I'd like to do an episode on it at some point, but I don't. I literally don't know enough. I studied economics a long time ago, mm-hmm. like trying to make sense of it. And there was an article um, I read by Jack Belolly, which was actually it was really good on poetry of all things. Yeah. And he had one line in it saying that the animating principle of kind of anti-totalitarian liberals has been we're against that foreign thing we all work together to defeat in the Second World War. The only kind of they they affect a kind of posture whereby the actual collective work to defeat totalitarianism was secondary to the kind of noble broken intellectual who stood up after maybe being quiet or not agreeing with it at all, yeah. you know, to oppose it, um, and that it 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 relies on this kind of great man of history bullshit with surrounding the critique against just Maduro Hmm. um, and ignores the fact that, yeah, they've been voted in quite a few times. They have done experiments, like non-statist experiments with um, workers' ownership and and grassroots democracy. And that actually by attacking this and stereotyping this in this way and encouraging military intervention to be the only thing, you're papering over very complex splits within Venezuela itself. And what you're doing is encouraging a civil war. In many ways, you are encouraging another Syria. Mm-hmm. There were people in Syria who genuinely supported Assad mm-hmm. for right or wrong, whatever way you fall on it. Yeah. What you're doing when you're intervening in these things is you're not the like glorious people entering Berlin, mm. the Soviets, 
Wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, you're not the kind of people riding in on the tank. You're not the people like turning up to glorious cheering crowds. You're the people turning up to two groups of people like Shout. shelling shelling the shit out of each other, each with their own like fears, concerns, and things like that. And that that blanket kind of condemnation mm. of one side as uniquely evil. It's a hangover from the Cold War. I think we've yeah. talked about it before. Um, it's a hangover from the Cold War and is a particular Western liberal tick that I think is is horrific. Um, there was a fucking Bloodworth tweet the other day where he, he compared... Um, he said, oh, Maduro and Bolsonaro are the same. And then proceeded to say, um, but Maduro deploys anti-imperialist language more effectively. With a mouthful of empanada. <laughs> With a mouthful of empanada, yeah. Don't, what a fucking... No, look, I can't... Oh, like... Yeah, but the thing I try not to think of these people, yeah, like Bloodworth, because like he's a, he's just so profoundly ignorant of everything and joyously to stop coercion, to stop violence, we have to engineer the most violent situation possible yeah. Yeah. because that's to make us feel better about being on the right side. Yeah, there's this... or the, the you know the inverted commas right side because again it could be a civil war if things break down right now in Venezuela. On my fucking ignorant fucking yeah. global north westerner yeah. white cis man fucking yeah. breakdown of things, you've got a rump of maybe like working class Venezuelans, Afro Venezuelans, people of color against a middle class um, like rich people revolt, fascists, and yes, some probably anti Maduro liberals who are in that coalition. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that breaks down percentage-wise. I've no fucking idea. No. I would never know any idea because the stuff we get in this country is so weighted in one particular direction. Yeah. You know? And, like, if we think about what we want to do as anti-imperialists, like, we're careful anti-imperialists. I'm not, like, unequivocal support for the Maduro regime at this point doesn't end the suffering of the Venezuelan working class. You know? I think, I I think for the meat... <clears throat> I think at the moment, um, yeah, Western aggression opposed. Yeah, that at the moment I've one hundred percent. At the moment I've one hundred percent support for the Maduro regime. Yeah, until sure. until everyone else leaves him alone, it would be nice. It would be nice to see what happens with with um, the Maduro government when sanctions are withdrawn. Yeah, I ultimately don't think it it, it matters that you send that it. it I ultimately don't think whether we centre Maduro in this or not. Mm. You no. know, that's not what we can do, and that's not no. that's not just looking at. Like look, not looking beyond our own borders. That's looking at imperial global imperialism yeah. is a particular system. Mm-hmm. We compare can compare other countries, and and see the way that the U.S., which is the hegemon. Yeah, it's not U.S. does everything, but it is the hegemon. It decides mm-hmm. these things in coalition with you know various other other states that take a greater or lesser role. Um, what it's our job to do, and the best way we can do things is to attack the militarism and the aggressiveness of what our own countries do. Yeah. Oh, it's um, you know? the fact that the EU came out massively in support of yeah, of a coup um is grotesque. Like you know the 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 notion of an EU army. Like James O'Brien does this thing. Yes. It's like why would you ever be against why would you ever be have a problem with an army that you're a part of? And it's like, Jesus. Well, oh. And the thing there is like, well, James O'Brien was in favour of the Iraq war. And it's like, the problem is, I've never been in favour of the army that is my army because our army is fucking horrible. Yeah. It's like, do we have to remind you of the 
oh, hey, up, lads, we're go- I'm breaking the Geneva Convention. I don't want to support that army. I don't care if they speak English or Belgian. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. And, like, the idea of our soldiers going over to Venezuela, of all places, to throw, to, like, throw petrol on that massive dumpster fire. Yeah. It's disgusting. To like, it, it's yeah, it's morally reprehensible to be even slightly in support of and Guido know, and the rest of his dickheads. And I know exactly what they would say. They would say it's whataboutism. Now, whataboutism is like a fucking gospel with these people. <laughs> that whenever you say it's interesting, how you don't ever call for the violent overthrow of the Saudi regime, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Um, and. It is, but it just exposes like the paucity of their kind of thought because they're constantly going on at what they see as the like uh, the the degenerate morally degenerate left, yeah. um, not supporting internationalism. That's one of their favourite lines, right? When yeah. they say they're on the left, they say you're not supporting internationalism. You're mm. not supporting the thing. And yet, whenever you try and actually suggest that, not only are these countries do these countries have their own problems. These countries are also not in a vacuum, and then it encompasses everything. Yeah. You're immediately accused of whataboutism. Yeah. What about what about Yemen? Yeah. Why are you not doing that? Why why do you not propose the same measures? How do you judge? How do you look abroad and judge each of these countries' separate situations? And the answer is they're not. They have an ideological project that's anti-socialist. That's anti-egalitarian ultimately and is pro-imperialist in that it supports the current way of doing things mm-hmm. they're only ever angled towards whether knowingly or, or unknowingly they're only ever angled towards the enemies that the the media and the 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 u.s state department in the way that it exists want them to see mm. they don't see venezuela they don't see saudi they don't see bahrain any of that they just see Venezuela because that's all they'll be targeted at. And this isn't fucking new. No. This is Syria, Libya, Iraq. The Iran thing is over again. Yeah. Is, is started up again. And it's... There's no excuse for these more senior kind of liberal journalists and news outlets altogether, like mm. a Guardian editors, the higher-ups. There's no excuse for them not to have at least thought about this. Yeah. You know, it's... And I don't want to be a tanky. I don't want to have to support Maduro any any more than than I do. But it, it's 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 not about supporting Maduro. No, you know. Well, also, I don't think Maduro is the most important person there because no. the thing is that it's not a dictatorship, and they could elect someone else. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, unless they elect someone along the lines of what um, what the West and America want. Yeah, they'll ca- they will be back in this situation again. Yeah, and and you can time it like clockwork. At mm. some point, it doesn't become coincidence. Mm. It doesn't just become oh, well, we had one bad incident where Chavez Chavez talked about the great Satan. Yeah, they still try. By the way, all throughout the um, Chavez period, I think it was like eight out of ten dollars made from uh, that Venezuela made from oil. It made from the US. Well, yeah, they still traded with them. Well, of course, they did. Venezuela were incredibly dependent on the US. Yeah, in fact, and it's just this weird moment where Trump has decided to show his his neocon stuff, presumably because you've got rabid psychopaths like John Bolton and Elliot Abrams in there now. Oh, God, Elliot Abrams. 
Elliot Abrams. You don't need to. You could have just sent a no name, and they would yeah. have done the same thing. But well, sending yeah. Elliot Abrams is fucking telegraphing exactly what you want to do. A man significantly involved in Iran Contra. A man involved with the death squads in Guatemala. Mm. Um, who, by all rights, at the least, should still be in prison until he was pardoned by Bush. Mm-hmm. Like, ah. Uh, no, I'm not like, going through the war on terror again. I'm just not. No, no. <laughs> Aesthetically. Especially, especially when it's like, it's, they haven't done anything. Yeah. And like, like, Iraq and Afghanistan hadn't done anything either. But like, this is even, like, even more. Like, no one has done anything. All they've done is be sanctioned yeah. and be hungry. But um, it would be entertaining to see if what happens when Elliot Abrams sets foot in Caracas. <laughs> um, I for one would think it would be intensely funny if he shot um, <laughs> yeah. because he should be actually he should be killed yes. he's, a, he's a monster for his crimes yes he for should his be. Legi- this isn't just this no. isn't this isn't just like a vendetta no, this no. isn't like saying I want to you know shoot fucking Jacob Rees-Mogg or something no, no, like no. a jokey thing no Jacob Rees-Mogg he is Pales like, in comparison. He's a minnow. <laughs> yeah. In this, in this, like, you this... are like tiny baby. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, Sandinistas. Um, yeah, it's like all the like the people that are normally annoying and make us angry and stuff. They are like the buzzing of flies to Vigo the Carpathian that is Elliot, Elliot Abrams. Oscatergy. Yeah. James Ball. Yeah. James Bloodworth. I promise. Yeah. If the UK Soviet Republic <laughs> ever becomes a thing. Yeah. I personally guarantee your safety. <laughs> Elliot Abrams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get a hankering for scones. You know what I mean? <laughs> no quite cream for Elliot Abrams. <laughs> uh, okay, that's us for this week. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And if we haven't been arrested for making death threats, <laughs> we'll see you again next week. Right. Bye. Bye. Frightened am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover said to cut my...